My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast is brought to you thanks to Weber Abrasives, where Aussie bladesmiths can get all of the best abrasives around. Visit rob at abrasives.on.net today to stock up. Yes. So, what have you been up to this week, Alex, other than freezing? Yes, it's been pretty <laughs> cold. I actually had uh, my boy Adam up to the the forge, and the whole day there was this thick, settled in fog. Mm. Um, we couldn't see past the fence uh, around my yard. Um, for like, it just d- did not leave for the whole day, except for this brief period at about four. It rolled back, and we could see everything. But then we saw it roll back in. And man, yeah. that's a creepy thing. Like <laughs> a lot of references to the movie The Mist were being made. Yep. You just see it coming and coming and coming, and then all of a sudden your breath starts frosting and you're realizing you're in it. Um, but we actually had to have like a brazier burning next to us the whole day just to stop from freezing. But it was okay because we cooked our cheese kranskis on it um, as, <laughs> as awesome. is tradition. But it's the first time Adam's been up since October. Um, yeah, so wow. And poor bloke's been fanging for a forging session and we got to use Mr. Squishy to process some down some lovely Western Australian Damascus. Yeah. So, nice. But uh, I was glad that I was using the press with him all day because um, I've been nursing a, a bad back and a bad neck and just trying to take it easy as I, uh, I'm often uh, recommending to other people to take it easy when you've got an injury so that you can get back on your feet faster. I've been trying to do that myself. Uh, living off ibuprofen and heat packs and things. Fun times. Yep. Fun being in your 30s. Uh, self-care is important, although it, it sometimes can be very difficult. It wasn't even like a, a specific injury. It was just like, you know, I got out of bed the wrong way. That's <laughs> yep. it. Stuffed for Stepped a Stepped off the curb the wrong way. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I got a story about that, but that's for another time. <laughs> Um, I got a awesome care package, and everybody who listens to this show more than five minutes knows I love care packages. Um, yeah. Actually, from First Degree Forge and Aimless Adventurer from YouTube via our friend Adam at Speargrass Forge. Um, mm. So, turned up a couple of cool knives and uh, a big sheet of G10, like a khaki sort of desert camo G10 color. Um, which will be great for some folders, some sort of modern, yeah, nice. like, tactical sort of looking knives. I reckon that'd be cool. And a block mm. of handle wood that we cannot work out what it is. Right. Yeah. Mystery mystery handle wood. Yeah. It looks very much similar to something that I've got in my collection already, which, if it's coming from America, they shouldn't have. Um, okay. It would be weird if they sent it back home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, who knows? We'll see. But it's nice. It's kind of like half half in the realm of Purple Heart, half in the realm of something like Spruce. It's kind of okay. strange. Yeah, but I don't know. Ha- interesting handlewoods are always fun, as Ryan will know. Um, yes. From Otway Fiddleback. He knows I love my chatoyants. It's like a drug. Yeah, um, yeah he got you some really good pieces recently. Oh, yeah. He knows what I like. He knows what <laughs> Puppy likes. 
Yep. <laughs> um, I finished a, um, speaking of Otway Fiddleback, I used some of his uh, beautiful Otway Blackwood to make a friction folder recently. Um, mm. That lasted all of about 20 minutes when it went put up for sale, <laughs> which is nice. Um, I'm working on, funnily enough, I've got two people currently wanting uh, Myrtle slip joints. They want Tasmanian okay. Myrtle as the handle scale specifically. Um, and they both want slip joints. So uh, these two people do not know each other. They're in different countries, um, but for some reason have wanted the same thing. So I'm working on a couple of new slip joints as well. Um, nice. Is the mallard still available? The mallard is still available, surprisingly. It's got a lot of... Uh, it's in a lot of people's carts yeah. uh, and on a lot of people's favorite lists on the Etsy store. It tantalizingly tells you that, but it's still available. And every day that it's available makes me want to keep it more. <laughs> it is the favorite thing that I've ever made in my life. I love it. It is pretty freaking cool. It's, I will admit. And it's 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 walk and talk is addictive as hell. It's so good. Um, nice. But yeah, every day that it does not sell makes me think, maybe that's my sign that this is the one I should keep. But I can't start <laughs> down that path, Sam. The end of that no, path is not a good path me holding myself in the fetal position, a room lined with knives on the wall. <laughs> we all know this. <laughs> you, I, I think it's cute that you think you would have a room at that point. <laughs> it's just a pile on the floor. That's it. Yeah, it's in, in a back alley somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, the mallard will go to our home eventually. They all do. They all do. Mm-hmm. They always leave. They all leave. <laughs> Um, speaking of cool folding knives, um, I, my wife has been doing the friction folder course that I did, um, and she's got her. She's very close to finishing her first one now. She's only been able to sort of spare the time to do like one day a week on it, um, but she's um, been coming along really well. A very impressive first go. Um, yeah, it looks fantastic. But, I mean, of course, she's got a really good teacher. So. Well, the thing is, I've been totally hands-off with it and insisting on it, despite <laughs> the frustration that it causes. Um, it's like I, I've not... I've refused to do any of the steps at all. I will advise, right. I will teach, um, but it's it's all been her. And her plunge lines are nice and neat. Her bevels are very central. Um, the micro bevel uh, or the the this the edge the pre pre micro bevel edge is even the whole way um the tip is nice and centered the distal taper is even it's just all of these little details that you start looking for when you've been making knives a while are in there um mm. and then much to sam's dis- dismay she stonewashed it yeah <laughs> just she was going so well there for a bit <laughs> Even went through the process of hand sanding and then she's um she's insisting on keeping her first knife and she's going to use it as a, a gardening knife so uh, it's going to get beat, yeah, cool. beat to hell and dirty so stonewash makes sense <laughs> it'll stay it'll yeah. stay looking the way she uh, she wants it to stay but she's got an idea for a finish on her knives a style which we've both been looking and we can't really find anybody else in the knife making community who does this. So it's going to be interesting to see okay. her coming out with something unique that isn't done. So right. uh, I'm keen to see how it looks, to be honest, because we have no point of reference to see what it will look like. We just got to wait and see what she comes up with. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see it. Um, so everyone else will probably be able to follow along as well. Um, Fair enough. Uh, in less positive news, I've been dealing with woes of a 
mutant mega rat living in my workshop. <laughs> yeah, no jokes. <laughs> it's been drinking acetone and, and cold blue and uh, eating iron-infused flux, drinking ballastol chases after it's <laughs> gulps of acetone. Yeah, I, I, I swear it's going to be like you're going to come around a corner one day and there's just going to be this fucking six-foot-tall wear rat here's the thing though like it's it's had baits put out and it's eaten those too and it comes back the next day more stuff is done like it's it's going mental in there and i i can never catch it it's um yeah i'm pretty sure it's gonna be like some giant like furry (laughs) you know anthropomorphized bipedal rat monster (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like 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 the the fly part two the rat it's been leading to quite a lot of mirth in the instagram and facebook communities about my woes i'm finding it quite Just serious but everybody else thinks it's hilarious yeah i was i was terrified when when i saw that it had chewed through the bottle of iron mountain i was like oh no not the iron mountain <laughs> well that's the that's the thing i shouted out to my workshop when i fi- found it. it was like do you know how much this stuff costs <laughs> <laughs> Just so it feels ashamed when it hurts, and the, and the ballastol all the way from Germany. Yeah. It's like it's, it's it's got really expensive taste. <laughs> and I went through. It's like it's it seems to be picking just difficult to acquire things, except acetone. But the thing is, <laughs> well, yeah, the acetone. I like my one liter bottles of Digger's acetone from Bunnings. Mm-hmm. It's like the best. It's the most like because acetone goes bad after a while, and yeah. that's those bottles are the perfect like size bottle for me to go through it at the right rate but the thing is bunnings is always bloody sold out of the one liter bottles and sadly yes and it chewed through i finally got one and it chewed through it and then <laughs> the, the gun blue everyone can get birchwood casey gun blue but i had gone through two bad sellers where i had bought it purchased it and then they tried to screw me over before finally getting it and i had to delay that razor project for ages which ended up not bluing in the end anyway because i couldn't get a good enough finish but i had to delay it because i had to wait for two bad sellers to finally get this bottle so it seems to only be picking things that have been difficult for me to acquire in one way or the other <laughs> it's just like screw this guy i really don't like him <laughs> yeah it's leaving everything else alone it's oh god i'm just gonna just camp there with a, sh- a rocking chair up one end of my shed with a shotgun across my lap one night <laughs> that's it i feel like i'm gonna Bring need a down. big ass shotgun to actually take this thing down <laughs> you know you just grab a sledgehammer and wait by the door <laughs> <laughs> like roadrunner yeah, I'll have my anvil hanging from a contraption yeah. <laughs> on the ceiling. Just paint acne on the side of it before you do anything. That's it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> my, I've been listening to some pretty heavy stuff this week. Mm. I've been in a heavy kind of mood. Um, a lot of a lot of songs you turn up to eleven, and um, the my song of the week this week is by a band called Conception. It's uh, mm. probably a lesser known band, but um, fans of heavy music probably know of it. Um, and the song is She Dragoon. And it's a song about like ev- every guy has met this one woman you just don't mess with because she <laughs> will just destroy you. Um, the song yep. is about that one woman <laughs> that every man has ever met. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and 
it's a it starts off with this beautiful sort of soft acoustic intro and then just hits like a sledgehammer <laughs> and uh, nice. and lasts that way for the rest of the song. It's it's just one of those really good ones. Um, especially if you if you've got a heavy or an angry playlist, it should be on that uh, list. So fair enough. What about you? What have you been up to? Oh man, um, been working on these Higo Nakamis. Mm. Um, yeah, I uh, need to get them finished. The customer that asked for the one with the inlaid frog in it has been uh, knocking at my door. <laughs> Not really, but you know, messaging me every day, going, "Yeah, is it done yet?" Um, so, got to get that finished. Uh, but uh, in recent times, uh, today. Adam from Speargrass Forge showed up, um, and he's going to be here for the next week. He'll actually be joining me on my live stream on Saturday, but he's uh, booked a class with me, and uh, the class was actually to build a knife during the class. How uh, do knife? A, yeah, it's a three-day class, and we decided to go big or go home, so I'm actually teaching him how to make a musa buoy. <laughs> 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 so... We, we, we spent like eight and a half hours in the shed today and we managed to get it forged out and uh, profiled and heat treated. I hope, in that I time. hope he's so, ordered his uh, big fudge size assembly mat from Nordic Edge. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be like a really rustic kind of uh, brute to forge muso. But it's to be fair, uh, those chunky. are some of the coolest ones. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be badass. Like uh, you know, looking at the profile as it stands now, it's it's looking really good. So I'm I'm really keen to see how it comes out in the end. Given that we were gonna do it over several days, tomorrow we've got another full day in the forge. So we'll see how it goes. Fun time. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty much gonna be kind of taking up all of my time for the next uh, foreseeable future. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, Otherwise, uh, last weekend I did a stream where I started making a copper bowl for patination. Mm. It was a disaster of a stream and I ended up actually deleting it off my channel because I'd been received some really bad news that morning before I started. Um, and then proceeded to start doing the, the one thing that I hate most in the world, which is sheet metal work. Mm. Um, and it was just not going well for me and I kind of lost my shit and, and ended the stream early cause I just couldn't handle it. Um, but I did manage to finally finish the, uh, the copper bowl kept finish. It, it holds water and it's bowl shaped. That's all I care about at this point. <laughs> um, so now I have finally have a copper, copper patinating bowl. It's not what I want. Like I, I do want a better one. It's but version, I'm get it version one. Let's just call it version oh, yeah. one. I'm getting it made by someone else. Like the, the final version is getting made by someone else. I don't care. <laughs> At this point, I will pay someone to make what I want. Um, Hell, I'll make you one. Yeah, well, if you want to, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I actually had the thought after I left your stream, um, after sassing you about annealing for you know fifty or so messages, yeah, and probably uh, probably contributing into it being a bad stream. Um, but I thought a better way to do it would have been to create a net of like a box, mm -hmm. fold up the sides with like fold over tabs, rivet it closed and then solder it. Yeah. The, the only problem is that any solder that you use can't be tin lead or, 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 or bra brace it with copper. 
Yeah, brazing with copper would be the way I would have to go. Because um, if you fold, folded it up into shape and then brazed it closed, that would have um, probably yeah. been a lot easier and you get a deeper volume that's probably, of space. That's actually very smart and you should have said that in the stream. <laughs> I, sh- I should have thought of it in the moment, yeah, because you had that beautiful big sheet there and um, I, I suppose sheet copper's easy to get. But, oh, it's fucking um, expensive though. <laughs> it is. I wish, I wish you lived closer. I've got piles of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe I should just send you some. Yeah. Give me the dimensions of what you want to make. That's yeah, that would work. It's a good idea. Um, yeah. So after that nightmare, um, I still have to get a bunch of stuff finished in order to patinate. So that's the thing that's going to be happening soon. Um, yeah. What What else? Other than that, pretty much nothing. That's been my my dedication at the moment. I I have been going through all of my old. Um, knife blanks, all of the unfinished blanks that I have lying around. And I'm, I'm kind of tossing up what I want to do with them because there's a lot of them that I'm, I kind of don't want to spend the time to finish. I also don't want to throw them away, but, you know, it's like... Auction them off as a collection. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking about doing that, like auctioning them off as a collection or auctioning them off one at a time or just like, you know, using them as a giveaway or something. I don't know. Maybe people the will most send in badass lucky dip at a market ever. <laughs> yeah, pick your own unfinished knife blank. <laughs> Get your own. Have the boy pile and the girl pile like they do, you know, <laughs> at country fairs. Totally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll see because I've got like thirty or so unfinished blanks that are just sitting there waiting to be finished. Uh, that will never get finished in my shop. <laughs> like I can say that with absolute certainty. So uh yeah, we'll we'll have to see, but uh that's that's for another time. My song of the week uh is actually one that's constantly on my playlist um and it's by a band called The Other Favorites. Uh I have mentioned them before. Uh they did a cover of Operator, um which is a, a fantastic cover, but this is actually one that they wrote themselves, and I didn't realize it was one they wrote themselves, because they're very famous for doing covers, and it sounds like a 60s or 70s kind of uh, Beatles-esque kind of sound, and it wasn't until I'd listened to it like the third time that I picked up some of the lyrics didn't fit with the time period of the of the sound, and then I looked at it and I realized that they'd actually written it recently, so it's such a cool kind of boppy 70s you know 70s 80s sound that i had to add it onto the the list so it's very contrapoint to yours <laughs> yeah and it's called new york town right uh and it, it is a fantastic song and i yeah I, I i admit that they had me pulled in for a while i legitimately thought they were covering something from 50 years ago uh, right. <laughs> it's pretty cool so um yeah very that- cool being said, I believe we have some listener emails. We do. We have three emails from two people. Yeah. There you go. Because that's how we roll on the podcast. Yeah. Dedicated listeners. So, Love it. So our first one is from David McCotter. And he says, hey, y'all, I'm David McCotter, but y'all can call me Moose the Candyman. <laughs> now it. that is how you open an email. <laughs> oh, man. Hats Take off. Take notes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
He he says, thank you. I am new to the Forge cast. Only been listening for about six weeks. Started episode one. I'm on episode 88 now. That's some dedication. I want to do the math on that because like. <laughs> I am loving this. I yeah. like where this is going. I <laughs> I have just finished my outdoor forge. I was given a beat to crap catch all shed. So my priorities have shifted a bit. It's going to be some time before I get to the challenges, but I will do them all. I will pace myself as to not burn out before I even get started. My question is, what books help the most when getting started on blacksmithing or bladesmithing? Again, thank you for everything. Mm. If you keep listening, Moose the Candyman, to the episodes, uh, I can't remember which episode it was, but we had this question from one of our listeners um, yeah. And we listed off a, a few good ones, and I can't remember any of them because uh, my memory is like that of a goldfish. Yeah, knife engineering um, is one of the, the main ones that everyone talks about these days by Laren Thomas. Um, Forged by Liam Hoffman is also a good one. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it really my, depends on what you get one to get My favorite into. is Practical Blacksmithing by um, M.T. Richardson. Yep. And uh, then that, there's also the com- that's my Bible, the complete modern blacksmith, which is also like has some good points in it. Like not all of it's useful, but you know it has some good stuff. There are, yeah. are a variety of books out there. I will say that books haven't been, uh, books haven't been the main driving force in my education in blacksmithing, no. and I don't think anyone really has not for a long time. Yeah, has dedicated a lot of time to the book era, like aspect. It tends to be good for uh, either reminding you of old techniques or uh, like updating you on a specific technique. But as far as learning like general blacksmithing, it's very hard to get that from a book. It's a craft that really needs to be watched. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I've always found the the, the diagrams it, like literally any book that I've seen that has diagrams in it doesn't entirely cover how the steel behaves actually in practice. It's, it's very hard to do in still pictures. Also, um, any, anybody who's ever done uh, boxing, professionally yeah. trained boxing, gets the, one of the first lessons you get is that any plan disappears as soon as you get hit. Yeah, that's it. Um, and as soon as you feel steel, hot steel move under your hammer for the first time, it all disappears. All of that yep. stuff you've been reading and watching up until that first time uh, disappears. For sure. No plan survives first contact with the enemy. So just get out there and, and start moving some steel. Keep watching those YouTube videos. By all means, you know, build up your library. It's good to have the reference points there. But I've got a heap of blacksmithing books on my bookshelf behind me. And in all the years I've been doing this, I've actually not read any of them. <laughs> Like Sam said, I'll look up a technique um, if I'm struggling with a particular technique. And sometimes you'll glean a little gem of wisdom, but the diagrams on offer are usually quite old. have been um, scanned and printed so many times that they're almost like imperceptible. Yeah, I um, my, my library of blacksmithing books is kind of expanded and collapsed several times because I'll, I'll collect them, I'll read them once pick out the books that actually have something that I might want to use later and the rest of my giveaway, because a lot of the time it'll re like the books will rehash stuff that you've already read or you've already heard. So for, 
four bladesmithing books on heat treatment are probably quite good to have yeah because um, that's something that you all reference a lot but in terms of techniques not so much yeah that's it um things on like the science behind edge geometry for example is something you can definitely read about um, yeah and, and get quite a lot of and that's why knife engineering is quite a popular book because it covers edge geometry heat treatment it even has cheat sheets for uh various steels so you know like it, it has all of that in it so it's one book that i don't own that i want to but it's fucking expensive yeah <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a good looking book yeah, I wouldn't is. mind having it on my shelf so I can not read that as well. <laughs> Make you look even smarter. That's right. But uh, thanks for writing in, mate. Hopefully that has helped put you in the right direction. Hmm. Our next two emails both come from a fella called Trevor. And Trevor oh. says, Hey, guys, I was curious if you could answer something I've been wondering about but can't find online, whether my wording is wrong or Google keeps giving me what it thinks I want to know. When hardening a carbon steel blade, it needs quite high temperatures to change phases and become a hardened piece. Why slash how does tempering change the physical properties of the steel at such a low temperature relative to the hardening cycle? What is actually happening to the steel during the temper other than the generic answer, it takes the hardness back and increases toughness that I keep getting? I would like to know the science behind it if you have the time to answer on that. Thanks, guys. Trevor. I'm going to leave this to Big Fudge because (laughs) you're about to hear some very long words. (laughs) I mean, not really long words. I I can keep it relative. I can almost hear his knuckles crack from here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Time to bring out the bring out the steel nerd. Um, yeah, on a on a chemical level, it, it's quite interesting because steel is one of those things that. How do I explain this simply? But um, basically, steel is reacting to temperature no matter what the temperature is, right? So uh, there is no point at which steel is fully inert. Basically, um, it's well known that you can cryogenically treat most steels to increase the hardness. And the reason that you increase the hardness is because you actually, uh, all blades have some form of retained austenite in their structure, right, when they're quenched. The uh, cryo, the sticking in liquid nitrogen, will uh, convert that retained austenite into martensite. So it'll increase the amount of martensite in your blade, which is why a lot of uh, stainless steels and stuff like that require cryo, because uh, the chromium that's in that steel uh, it, like improves the amount of uh, retained austenite, so therefore, quen- as quenched, most stainless steels are not as hard as they could be. Um, and that's true for most high chromium steels, including 52100 and all that kind of stuff. Cryo helps them a lot, because it you know helps them uh, tr- transfer most of their retained austenite. When it comes to tempering, it's it's kind of the same process, but in reverse. So as you start to heat steel, the phase changes are occurring, right? So um, if you think of it like um, melting an ice block and turning the ice block into water vapor, right? So you go from solid ice to liquid and solid, and then you go to full liquid, and then you go to... Um, water vapor once you've boiled it off with steel it's much the same as you go from room temperature at which it's at its quote-unquote most inert 
as you slowly heat it, you are creating a phase change, right? You're you're slowly turning that martensite back into austenite. You're moving towards austenitization of the steel. Basically, the higher the temperature gets, the closer you get to that austenite nose, right? So what's happening is is that the the molecules, the the martensite crystals, are actually slowly starting to degrade or dissolve themselves loosen their bonds and that's why you gain toughness and lose hardness because the martensite is crystalline it's a it's a uh, yeah it's a crystal and basically those crystals are slowly like shedding apart and loosening their bonds and so those bonds are more flexible less rigid because of the lack of rigidity you've got more toughness more springiness but because of the lack of rigidity, you also, you know, lose some of the hardness because the hardness comes from that brittle, hard, crystalline structure. So basically all you're doing is a smaller version of austenitization. So a smaller version of taking to critical temperature in order to quench uh, and just loosening those can- those uh, molecular bonds in the martensite, like loosening that, that crystalline structure. So hopefully that, that explains it. Are we good? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> so like Alex is just <laughs> glazed over. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, but how do steel? But how do steel? Yeah. So hopefully that that answers the question. It's it's one of those things where steel is constantly changing, uh, and you can actually increase the hardness of steel by sticking it in your freezer at negative twenty degrees Celsius for uh, for a couple hours, because the the steel is never not going through a phase change basically hmm. so yeah it's funny a lot of people just sort of see steel as this um thing that represents permanence yeah that's um, it. when the reality is actually quite opposite well yeah i mean we all know that it's relatively chemically active because it rusts and it's rust- also based in iron which yeah. is one of the most volatile chemicals there is that's it i or mean ele- elements i should say yeah and that's it like uh, rust is not volatile chem- reactive yes reactive yeah. is the word i was looking for yeah rust is just a reaction is just the um you know off gassing or the off the or the result of a chemical reaction that's created because of the reactivity of the iron in steel so yeah yeah so chemistry Trevor steel nerd i know it's not often that sam gets a, like carte blanche open license to just go nuts on steel nerds. It's like asking me about trees and genuinely (laughs) wanting to know about them. That's it. Um, (laughs) Prepare yourself. I want to know about mushrooms, Alex. Tell me about mycelium. Right! (laughs) Um, So Trevor did a follow-up email, um, and he says, Hey, guys, no question this time. Just wanted to say thanks again for taking the time to answer my questions. As a side note, absolutely could not stop laughing at the clear ring of truth about your description of people and the ability of people to never miss a chance to show how stupid some can be. Also, right there with you with the massive peeve about people just walking up and picking up a knife without asking and just immediately pressing their thumb or flesh to that edge. Unfortunately, the markets around don't allow demonstrations. However, there are three Renaissance fairs throughout the year that do. While there are other very popular smiths there, I have been considering attempting to set up a booth at one or two of them coming up. I also wanted to let you know that two of you have inspired me to try out friction folders, and I'm very excited to give it a try. I am currently in the process of designing it out, 
on selecting which wood to go with for the handle. I think the excitement is also rubbing off on the missus because out of the blue she has told me she wants to make a knife as well. So yes. even if it's by proxy, wanted to thank you for getting my wife interested in smithing something. Wishing you all the best, Trevor. Okay. That's Trevor. That's awesome. Love that. Total shameless plug. I do have an online course <laughs> that goes into a six hours of deep dive information on friction folders. More than you could ever need to know. Well worth it from the results that I've been seeing coming out. Like, I haven't done the course myself because yeah, don't I don't really to. need to. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, from the results that I've been seeing coming out, it's obvious that the course is well worth the price. Because it's like you can learn to make friction folders on YouTube. Everybody knows that. But it's like deep dive yeah and and having it in one location having the dedicated thing where you can go back and forth and check and recheck and mm-hmm. it's much easier to find than having to search up multiple different videos on youtube you have it all in one place it's like i've been describing to people it's everything you want ever wanted to know about friction folders and a lot of things you didn't <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's like me and steel yeah so with uh, emails out of the way, it's time to talk about our inspirations. Yeah. Now I'm going to go first because you got a lot of airtime just there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you do it. And I've actually been wanting to talk about this guy for a while. Um, he's been inspiring me uh, repeatedly. Every time I, I get distracted and forget he exists, he goes and inspires me again. Um, <laughs> he's a bit of a, uh, a renaissance man which uh, strikes a chord with me because I, I sort of like to think of myself as a bit of a renaissance man with very wide variety of fields that I am in. Um, this guy is the same, and making knives is just one of his many, many amazing talents. Um, he's also an absolute legend of a human being, which is always a good thing because there's a lot of talented people out there that won't give you the time of the day. This guy will literally give him the chance corner you and talk to you about things he's passionate about for hours nice. um and he's coming out of south africa and i've brought up a lot of south africans because there's some pretty awesome people over there and this fella's name is grant stein he um recently did a sculpture entirely forged of a marionette puppet being uh controlled by um kind of like a hand but the it wasn't a full hand it was just the fingers and mm. the fingers actually sort of merged down to become the base and it was just such a hauntingly beautiful sculpture and all forged with exquisite detail um in all of the pieces right down to like the uh the folds of skin on the fingers holding it up and things like that um but he does like body sculptures he does um uh, he, he has a background in psychology. He does the knives. He, um, like, you, you watch him and he's, he's just con- every Every time you see him, he's doing something else, like aqu- aquaculture <laughs> with, like, w- wicking beds and, and um, you know, <laughs> growing growing plants in hydroponic systems and things. Like, he's, he's a, a wonderful cook and yeah. is always experimenting with crazy foods and things. And he's just, he's always in a good mood he's always happy he's always excited about the things that he's working on and that energy is sort of um it's like uh what's the word i'm looking for contagious contagious yeah yeah he's just he he live streams a lot of what he's doing and you can tell it's not like look at me what i'm doing it's like i want you to share in this cool thing that i'm nerding out about right now 
Yeah, come come hang out with me while I do something cool. Yeah, and he remembers everyone. Um, he gets to know people's work. And he follows them back, and it's it's just yeah, really infectious. The the energy that he has. I wish I had a tenth of his energy and his optimism. <laughs> and like his, he has that artistic flair. Like the, the the thing I love about his work is that he's always trying to look outside the box. Uh, when it comes to his bladesmithing work, for instance, he's always looking for that kind of weird twist on how things are done. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's like, who cares about rules? I'm doing it my way. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I totally concur. He is a very inspirational man. And, and it's true. It's one of those things where he will, will slip the mind for a while. Because he, you know, he goes quiet for a little while, and then you'll... he's just working hardcore on something. And yeah, then and then you'll log into Facebook, doing something else. <laughs> you'll log into Facebook, and suddenly he's done like this giant sculpture. Like, where the f- did that come from? <laughs> it's like I, I built a hot rod. That's where I've been <laughs> on for the last six weeks. Like, could have done anything. This guy, he's got such a broad skill set that it could be anything. Is what yeah. I'm saying. The next thing, so it's worth following, just because like you never know what you're going to see. Yeah. It's just amazing. And he's just a wizard with metal. And, you know, that always gives me the fizz. It's, so, a, lucky, um, it's a lucky dip of content, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, his surname is spelled S-T-E-Y-N. And uh, you can get him on Instagram. He's on Facebook as well. And I highly recommend finding him on there. Just Grant Stein. Um, and it's grant.stein.forge on Instagram. He ha- also has a, uh, a side hustle he's been working at um, called... Uh, the Photo Forge, I think it's called. Yeah, he's doing his editing. It's been amazing. Yeah, he's he's, he's trying to break into doing those sort of artistic edits of people's knives, uh, and he's quite good at it too. He did a few for me um, when he first got started, and um, he just keeps getting better at it. So it's, um, yeah, he's just one of those, one of those uh, autodidactic polymaths. <laughs> That's it. They're rare, but they're out there. He's, you know, Da Vinci of his time. I really like following along with everything he does. He's just one of those people that rather than just inspiring me this week, he just constantly inspires me. But um, that enthusiasm, mate, if you're listening to this, never lose that. No, please don't. Some One of us needs to have it. Yeah, that's right. He's <laughs> enough for all three of us. Yeah. That's it. So, how, about, how about you, Sam? Who's been inspiring you? Uh, mine was, uh, was a kind of a coinky-dink kind of... Uh falling across a very small YouTuber who actually happens to make amazing content. All right. Uh, and it's another Russian uh, or Ukrainian or some form of Slavic state <laughs> um, right. person. I don't know exactly where he's from, so I, w- I don't want to, you know, insult anyone if, if you know, if they listen. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I was just, as I usually do, scrolling through my YouTube recommended feed and... 90% of my YouTube recommended feed is blacksmithing related. <laughs> and I saw um, forging a bolt out of a knife. Oh, I've seen that video. And and um, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I watched it. It was really good. And then I saw that he'd made a Tanto, right? With Hamon and stuff like that. And I was kind of like, oh, it looks interesting. It looks good. And he went into so much detail. And he's, you know, really putting in a lot of effort and you can tell that a lot of his tools are self-made like his grinder as skateboard wheels and you know like stuff like that so i was like oh my god this kid is amazing he's doing this you know really hyper detailed work he's doing hamon he's doing you know all of his habaki fittings and stuff like that trying to be as traditional as possible 
Uh, and then I watched a, a couple of his Puko videos, and he does, like, the traditional Scandinavian Puko-style sheaths and um, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I fell in love with his content. I've watched literally every video he has on his channel, because they're all really well shot. Um, the, the lighting's beautiful, but also the work itself is fantastic. And I, I was, like, you know, uh, blown away that he's only got just over 3,000 subscribers. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it because this kid's blowing me out of the water with his content. So like, you know, and he's only got 87 followers on Instagram. Like that's criminal. Yeah. <laughs> so his YouTube uh, channel is Rust Legion. Rust Legion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Fan- I've been subscribed to him for a while. He's yeah. cool. Fantastic yeah. channel that I could not understand how I hadn't come across him before. I may have come across his content before. But hadn't really clicked with it. Like, hadn't really clicked that it was a new channel. Um, and his Instagram handle is Astra underscore Fornax. Uh, so it's F-O-R-N-A-X. Um, right. So Very AS- different. Yeah. A-S-T-R-A underscore F-O-R-N-A-X. And he is so talented. I could not understand how he's got such a small channel at the moment. Um... And yeah, I, I I was blown away. So um, yeah, I loved if, watching him make the traditional um, puko sheath with yeah, the, the, the wooden, wooden insert in, in there. I it, it's um, made me want to do one. Like that's why I'm yeah. wanting to use him as my inspirations because he's literally made me want to make some pukos and make some traditional sheaths. Yeah, yeah, or the wet forming around the wood. It's really yeah. cool. Like you don't you don't often see many people do that. With, with them anymore? No, that's it. I mean, I, you know, my, my, uh, inspiration from last week, Rune, um, did a couple, but you know, it was just watching Rust Legion do it. Cause he does, he videos it in quite close detail. I was kind of like, I think I can pull that off. Um, mm. yeah, no, it's just so accessible because a lot of his tools are very simple. Like he hasn't got forge presses or anything like that. He's doing most of this stuff by hand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, definitely go and check him out. Cause he's very well worth a follow and he's got a great sense of humor too. I, I do love that for his April fools, he made a bolt out of a knife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many videos on YouTube on how to make a knife out of a bolt. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I want to do the opposite thing. And then he used That's it for like right. a tracking adjustment. No, like for, for the, um, standoff in his, uh, in his grinder. He, used to, he uses the standoff screw in his in his grinder. <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Yes. Well, with emails and inspirations out of the way, that brings us in to tool time. Tool time. Today's tool time is coming at you thanks to Nordic Edge, host of the Australian Knife Making Awards for 2021. Make sure you get on board with that. And be sure to visit nordicedge.com.au to stock up on all of their delicious knife-making goodies today. I want to just do a bit of a shout-out for the Australian Knife-Making Awards because you still have a chance to get in on that action. Uh, check out their Facebook group, which is... Um, which group is a member of so many different groups? I uh, always get Australian the names Australian Beginner Knife-Makers, I believe. Yeah, Australian Beginner Knife-Makers. If you are an Australian knife-maker, definitely get in on that yeah there it is australian beginner knife making group there it, it may be uh, a group called beginner knife making but there is a beginner category and there is an advanced maker category so lots of cool prizes up for grabs so definitely get in on that action but tool of the week on this show 
is nitrile gloves. Very simple, but very useful. Oh, it's so useful. And um, especially getting them by the box so you can double glove. Because yep. anybody that's done a complicated glue up knows that epoxy gets everywhere. <laughs> For sure does. Everywhere. I've done a couple of weird glue ups recently. And oh, you sometimes you kind of need a triple glove. Because yep. some you just need to be able to switch to clean gloves midway through the process. And yeah, it's much especially... easier to pull off gloves than to swap gloves. <laughs> Especially if you don't want to, like, um, you know, put glue all up the blade and, <laughs> you know. And all over your clamps and yeah, everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. No, so, it's, it's, well. it's crazy how, how you know, like, useful they are. And and it's funny because I go weeks sometimes without needing them because I don't do a lot of glue-ups and stuff at the moment because I'm making hammers and <laughs> various other things. But then when I need them, I really need them. And I actually ran out um, a couple of weeks ago and I had to order some more off eBay. Now... I have the disadvantage of needing two XL <laughs> nitrile gloves, which are rare and expensive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, fortunately eBay is the you know holder of all things, so mm. managed to get my my hand, my hands on some, and uh, they arrived like I think three days ago on Monday. I think. What's your preferred brand? Uh, at the moment, I am using. I like Black Knights. Uh, Black Knights, yeah. Um, I think at the moment I'm using Metrex. Like right. they're they're a, like an off-brand kind of thing, but they were the only ones who had two X in stock. I'm a bit of a um, grease monkey, bit of a gearhead um, yeah. in in what little spare time I have, and um, I I like the Black Knights because they um, they don't tear very easily at all. Yeah, and uh, doing automotive work is um, not only messy, but it is a glove terror. Yeah, and and one of the great things about most nitrile, like black nitrile gloves especially, is that they come powder-free, which is very Mm -hmm. important. Because powdered gloves is a nightmare for glue-ups and stuff like that. And also, um, it's one of those things that you do get what you pay for. We've talked about in the past tools that um, you can get away with buying cheap. And while nitrile gloves aren't necessarily expensive, really, um, when you look at the range that's out there, you'll think, oh, I'll just get a pair of latex, uh, a box of latex gloves for $3 at the dollar store. Don't. No, latex (laughs) is crap. It's not only crap, but they're usually like super thin. You don't want these glove companies making condoms, let me tell you. Oh, and and on that note. Just pulling them onto your hands, you'll rip through them. On that note, um, something I learned very early on when I started making my Carter is that latex is epoxy soluble. Oh, really? Yeah. um, I've never experienced that happen. I'm not sure if it's in the video that I did on making my Carter all those years ago now. but Making um, some hand my Carter? It literally melted the glove off my hand. Um, because I was using my gloves to scoop out the, the epoxy to lay on the micata. Yeah. At one point I put my hand in to scoop out some micata and one of the gloves of the finger just extended from the, (laughs) like dripped off my hand and I was like, Oh, that's not good. Um, definitely stick with nitrile, not latex. Yeah. Nitrile, (laughs) nitrile, not latex all the way. And if you, um, I mean, not only are they good for glue ups, they're good for if you've got to clean something thoroughly with acetone. Um, anybody that's like uh, cleaned off a blade pre etch, yeah. it's hard to clean off a blade without touching it. Uh, yeah, and and at, when you when you're going for etching and stuff like that, the oils from your fingers will interfere. 
significantly sometimes. So having gloves on means that you can handle the blade somewhat without having mm-hmm. to worry about leaving friggin' oil behind because that can kill yeah. you. That's right. Uh, and also acetone is not great to get on your hands. Yeah. Um, no, it's really not. It's it's, uh, it's it's unpleasant after a while at the very least. <laughs> and at the worst, it's absorbing into your bloodstream and that's not good. It's also a really good way to find out where your cuts are. Oh yeah, that's what I kind of. That's um, one of the two jokes that I make. Really, is is one is <laughs> acetone is um, uh, the fastest way to find cuts on your hand, and acetone is also making knife makers, particularly uh, the hand sanitizing world champions. <laughs> not wrong. Ain't nothing kill coronavirus like acetone. <laughs> not doctors do not take that as advice. No, please, please <laughs> don't. And like nothing kills people faster than acetone. <laughs> uh, inject it right in you. No, no, please don't. <laughs> but yeah, nitrile gloves. Check them out. If you've been using latex, give nitrile a try. Know that you do get what you pay for with them. Uh, and a bonus tip, uh, which I picked up from my boy Niels Vandenberg. Mm-hmm. is if you get charcoal-coated nitrile gloves, um, carbide burrs do not stick to them. Oh. So if you're... All those little little shards that come off carbide burrs that stick into your skin and the cause nightmares for you. The worst thing, the worst aspect of metalworking is those carbide shards. If you are wearing charcoal-coated nitrile gloves, um, those shards just bounce off it. They cannot stick to it. Mm. Nice. I might have to get myself some. Yeah, great little pro tip. If you if you if you've got the dosh to spend, I would have a box of those on hand and a box of just your your preferred nitrile classic glove. I need I need like full arm length versions of that. Well, here's the thing: the charcoal coated nitrile gloves are usually for chemical handling, and okay. they are most of the time much longer. They're usually elbow length. Nice. I need them. Yeah. At least they are wrist length, like so half wrists, so yeah, now that, longer than all. Now that I have a Fordham in my shop, although I can't run it yet, um, like now that I have a Fordham, I'm I, I desperately need those. Yeah, uh, so you will find a brand that is your favorite. Um, I, I like the Black Knight. Sam likes something else, um, but find the one that works for you. Nitrile's the way to go. Yeah, I haven't found a preference yet because I haven't tried enough brands, but uh, yeah. Uh, I, th- I went no, through actually, about I think three or four brands before I found one that didn't tear as easily uh, because I also use it for automotive. While you are uh, while you were talking, I was looking it up. They're actually mechanics gloves uh, with an X. Oh, like the, like the leather gloves. Yeah, yeah. The I use mechanics leather gloves. All oh, right, yeah. Well, they make, uh, they make black nitrile gloves. Those are the ones oh, I've got. Oh, there you go. There you go, and they're like, pretty good. I like, I like that brand. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 pretty bulletproof. So uh... all my work gloves are mechanics. Um, they last forever. They're great. Give you good dexterity. Yeah, and if you want to look like the Joker, you can have purple ones. Yeah, that's right. Like uh, or Francesco Mucci. Yeah, he always has it. purple purple gloves. Although he's been selling out and using light blue ones recently, I'm very disappointed in you, Francesco terrible i mean um i got offered orange ones um because the one of the companies that i was ordering from didn't have any black ones left and they're like is mm. orange okay and i'm like i don't care as long as they protect my hands 
And then they messaged me back like a day later going, oh, we're actually out of orange ones as well. <laughs> We've only got pink. Do you still want them? <laughs> no, the, the, they just said, we don't have any at all. And I was like, okay. So I ordered from Mechanics instead. Yeah. I'll have to try out the Mechanics ones. I love their work love. So I imagine I like their night trial as well. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. So in theme with one of our um, listener emails, our topic of the week is to answer a question that I, I, I don't know if Sam gets it as well, but I get quite regularly. Um, and that is from a lot of uh, beginner bladesmiths, especially ones who work with mystery steels where they can't just look up a data sheet on the steel. They say, How do you hard? I have tried everything to get my blade to harden and I just cannot do it. What am I doing wrong and what can I do to get it to harden? Uh, So we thought we'd talk about that on the show so everybody can benefit from the answer. Yeah, it is is quite common to to get the question, what am I doing wrong? I can't harden the blade. Mm. (laughs) And, you know... Sometimes in the middle of a Fortune Fire episode. <laughs> Shots fired! Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh boy! Yeah. Uh, so, what? There's several different things that you need to look at before you even go into like what steel is it? Blah blah blah. Testing, etc. Um, one of them that is a lot more common than you'd think is that some steels while they do harden, only harden to a certain point. And that hmm. point is less hard than a file that you might file test with. Because the classic thing people do is when they harden their blade to test whether it hardened is they file test it. Now, the file testing can present problems. One hmm. that I see a lot of people do is they do not let the blade cool down anywhere near enough before file testing it. If it's yeah. still smoking, that's a clue that it's not hardened, uh, not not cool <laughs> enough. Um, at least, at least wait until it stops smoking. Preferably wait until you can touch it with your bare hands before you file test it. Uh, make sure yeah. it is clean, as clean as you can you know, realistically get it, because you know that, that's that's another. You're actually touching the blade then with the file. Um, but some steels are not going to harden as much as the file. Because hmm. especially you might be sitting there with a third file. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, a, a lot of people when they start using scrap steel will literally use anything they can get their hands on. And you might use something like axle rod to make a blade out of, which is 4140, which will harden. Actually, a but- lot of modern axle rods are case hardened, which I've been very mm. disappointed to find out. Yeah, well, that's true too. But uh, if in the best case scenario... Um, you're, you know, you, you might be using 4140, which does not harden hard enough to skate a file. Yeah. Like, you, you know... It's it, good for hammers, not great for knives. Yeah. That's it. So, um, yeah, the, there are definitely certain steels that will just will not harden, uh, to, to any appreciable degree. Yeah. So there's also, um, uh, sort of decarb that can happen that uh, can go down sometimes quite away into your blade. Yeah, depending on how oxidizing your fire is and how hot you got it and how many heats you took, uh, you could have up to a mil and a half, you know, uh, worth of decarb on the outside of your blade, which is a lot of material to remove. Which, if you've got it down to a fairly fine edge before 
uh, heat treatment, which is not recommended, but some people do, uh, that can actually mean that your entire edge has experienced yep. this. That's it. Um, and some people may have even seen this. I know it happened to me in the earlier days um, is I went and did my baton test after tempering and found that it dimpled right in. And I thought, oh, it did not harden properly, but it did skate a file. That's really weird. Uh, but then when I removed about two millimeters of the profile, it was hard as nails. Yeah. That's and it. It, I'd just gotten it way too thin before mm. I did the heat treatment on it. It happens. It's yeah. part of the learning experience. For sure. And and yeah, decarb is one of those things that we don't account for a lot, uh, especially in Because you can't steels see like, it. Yeah, especially in steels like 5200 or ADCR V2, which I haven't worked with ADCR V2 myself, but I've it heard from- common. Yeah, pretty much everyone that's used ACRV2 talks about how much it decarbs. Um, so, you know, it, it is something to be aware of. Um, I actually had someone contact me and he said, I'm trying to harden this blade, but it's not hardening. And every time I try and center punch it, I the, the center punch goes in a certain amount and then my center punch just flattens off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, there's a reason for that. It's because mm-hmm. the decarb. <laughs> So um, one thing that we've gone on about in the past but haven't directly linked to this issue is that if you are working with um, scrap steel that you are intending to harden, there is a very uh, clear and easy-to-follow process to find out not just if it hardens but how much it hardens and what sort of grain refinement you can get onto it. Um, and it's, it's not a precise science, obviously, but if you do not know what the steel is, I recommend that you forge it out into short bars. Usually I'll do a bar about two or three inches long, about a quarter of an inch thick, about, you know, half an inch wide. Not much. You know, you can, it doesn't use up much of the scrap steel is what I'm uh, pointing out here. Um, and I will maybe do four or five of these. And I'll label them so I know what steel it is or, or, or identify if I'm doing multiple pieces of steel to work out which is from which piece, etc. And I will get them all um, past uh, after normalizing the same way that I would go through a heat treatment procedure for a knife made out of this material. Except when I quench it, I'll quench it in brine. Mm-hmm. The most aggressive quench that I can realistically and feasibly get in my backyard. <laughs> well, it's pretty much the most aggressive quench you can get, like, overall. Yeah, it's it's pretty damn aggressive. It's far more aggressive than you'd ever do for a, a something that is bladed. But if that steel can harden, it's probably going to harden in brine. Yeah, and, and having, and like, on that subject, having the right quenchant is incredibly important. Because, yes. like, W1, W2 will harden somewhat in a low-speed or medium-speed oil, right? Like, they'll harden in canola oil. Okay. Depending but on the temperature. They, yeah, but they are a high-speed steel. Like, they are a high-speed quench oil steel. So you need Parks 50. You need that, you know, like, Hawk extra... Pit. Yeah, that 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 uh, extra low-viscosity oil that's going to suck the heat out really quickly because it needs that speed in order to completely transfer martensite from the austenite. Mm. Um... And that is true for a lot of steels. You, if you're using the wrong quenchant, you will, you know, not get a result. Yeah. But to derail Sam's train of thought for a second, um, once I have uh, forged out and brine quenched these pieces of steel, I will put on my safety gear 
lock <laughs> lock each one in my post vice and I'll smack it with a hammer. Mm. If it's hard, it will shear. It will snap. Uh, sometimes into multiple pieces. Like uh, glass. Yeah. And then you can look at the grain structure. Uh, tempering does not affect visibly affect grain structure. So you can do this straight out of the quench process so long as you've normalized it um, properly. Uh, if you're going for a full heat treatment procedure, you may do, and you've got the time, you may actually do like a, a nice anneal on the steel before you go through the normalization process. Um, and do that proper normalization process the way you would do it on a knife. So uh, just before critical, then at critical, just after critical, um, go through the whole process, then do uh, the most aggressive quench you can and try and snap that steel. And if you've done it right and it is a uh, hard nipple steel, it should snap nice and clean. And inside there, you'll be able to see your grain structure. If after doing everything to buy the books it still bends or warps or you get a dirty snap like it looks mm-hmm. like it started bending and then snapped um i'd just chuck that steel or maybe save it for something that doesn't need to necessarily hold hardness like a knife does um yeah. if it snaps nice and clean and you've got a nice velvety grain structure in there you might be onto something but take notes on the factors that you've got like maybe it, it snapped cleanly but you haven't got a particularly good grain structure in there even after doing all of that, look at what your variables are and repeat this process by changing some of those variables um, and see whether or not can you tighten up that grain structure more? Can you not? Uh, can you um, maybe maybe you'll do an experiment that makes it worse. So try going in the opposite direction in that particular variable. Uh, these are these are the, are the sorts of experimentation that you must do if you're using scrap steel and are not willing to get it spectroscopically analyzed to find out what it is so you can look up a chart. Um, yep it's just definitely the way to go it's just the hard yards unfortunately i mean it's there are like like i say in the the video i did on this but the the argument between scrap and known steel the pros of known steel is that you know exactly what you need to do to get the best hardness out of it yeah Um, you're removing the guesswork you're removing the the schlep work to get it to get a result yeah and avoiding using known steel and using scrap is fine i'm i'm a big fan of doing it. i like turning old things into new things but your duty as a maker that's making things that people are going to rely on uh if you are selling your work obviously um or even if you just are somebody who's keen to get the best results out of your work you have to do this footwork uh and that footwork is going to show results. It's an investment you only need to do once in order to get the best results out of that steel. Especially, you might have come across, you know, you might have gone to an estate sale and found a giant crate with 500 of the same brand file in it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a gold mine. That I mean, that, that kind of happened to me. Like, when I moved out here to the country, everybody had all these old files because farmers all have files. And they don't like throwing things away. <laughs> yep. Uh, and because they're all in the same region, they all have the same brands. And so I went through this process on each of the brands, and some of them were crap. Yep, uh, case hardened stuff. Yeah, and some of them were phenomenal. There's this one with a sunflower logo on it. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's. I think the actual brand is sunflower. Could be, yeah. I but, haven't seen them, so yeah, I, I, I've not recognised the symbol. But god damn, there's some good files. <laughs> I don't know what 
so it, I'd, I'd love to actually get it spectroscopically analyzed to see whether or not it's um, like a known alloy. Well, you send it send it to me. I know what it'll do. Yeah, yeah, maybe one day. I've got to dig around in my pile. I've been using known steels for so long now that I've sort of lost track of my itinerary of scrap steel. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But every so often I still like making something something new out of something old. But uh, that legwork is a must. Um, and to be honest, it's kind of fun. Like if you had any interest in the metallurgy section of answering the listener email earlier from Trevor, um, that sort of process... You may not. You don't need a lab to be able to actually watch that sort of thing happen and and get results with the experimentation that you do. And to be honest, you're altering the the phase states of a material using nothing but some backyard tooling. That's cool. Ma- really maybe cool. I'm just a nerd about this, but that's cool. And getting to actually do that um, in such a controlled way, a, a pretty safe way as well, without any risk of hurting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we're not playing with the demon core <laughs> yeah that's right that's right so um yeah definitely if you're struggling to harden a blade look and, and you've got more of that steel that you plan on making more blades out of these are the things that you need to go through uh if you can if you can successfully harden and tighten the grain structure of a small forged out scrap of that steel you'll be able to do it to a full-size knife yeah for sure so and i mean Try it at different temperatures, too, because, you know, some steels harden at higher temperatures than others. That's true. Make sure that you're checking for magnet- magnetic as you come up to non-magnetic. Yes. The, the pro- One of the problems I see is that non like what people don't understand is that non-magnetic happens after critical temperature. Every, te- every temperature after critical temperature is non-magnetic, all the way up to liquid. Mm-hmm. So... Just because the steel is non-magnetic doesn't necessarily mean you're actually at the temperature you need. So make sure that you're actually checking regularly as you go, just before you get to magnetic, so that you know that you only need to overshoot that by a little bit in order to get to critical temperature. It is something that I've seen with a lot of beginners, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, is that once it's in there and they're trying to get up to temperature, that seems to be an inherent fear of pulling it out to check on it. You can. Yeah. You can do that. Nothing bad will happen. It will just get a little cooler. That's all. That's it. It'll cool down a little bit. That's not It'll a cool, bad cool thing. It'll cool down a very short, small amount. Like, you, you'll, you'll lose maybe 50 degrees. Just stick it back in and it'll be fine. <laughs> Nothing it. bad will happen. It doesn't affect the normalization process or anything like that. It's just you pull it out, you check it, you put it back in. It's out for all of two seconds. You can do yeah. that. So um, take the time to do that. Like Sam said, once it's past non-magnetic, it could be any temperature. Yep. Anything over about 860 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, you know, if you if you haven't got a, a, a thermocouple in your gas forge or, a, you know, like a, a laser um, thermometer which can register those high temperatures, which they're actually hard to find, I found out. They are. Um and expensive. They are. There uh, are a couple on eBay, but they're about 240 bucks. Yeah, they're expensive as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so unless you've got that, you're not going to be able to measure that temperature. So that's why I, I want you to make sure that you're testing for magnetic as you come up to it. Because, yeah, it's really easy to overshoot. Yeah. And not all steels um, require Curie temperature to be hit i mean the the swing for critical like the critical temperature and curie temperature are close but depends on how much perfection you're trying to 
to seek. The curie yeah, that's it. I mean, curie temperatures are really good sort of um, dodgy. Um, I'm I know I'm pretty close to critical. That's it. Yeah, Criti- critical tends to be about fifty degrees Fahrenheit above the curie temperature. Yeah, which is um, why they say you want to hold it in there for about thirty seconds or so after it's gone non-magnetic. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's a it's a good landmark to go off. Yeah. So, hopefully that gets you going on the right track, and obviously. If you have further questions or you've tried these things, you still can't get your your blade to harden. First, check that it's not mild steel. Secondly, Mm -hmm. you can email us a question. And you can do that by sending it through either on the social media, on Facebook or Instagram, or ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And if you are wanting to ask Sam specifically, you can get get, uh, (laughs) lots of big words. Lots of big words. But very thorough answers. Yeah, uh, if you want to, if you want to find any of that out, you can message me on Instagram or something like that. You can email me at samtownsbladesmith at gmail or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, Twitch, all of those things under samtownsbladesmith. You can also sometimes find me in the kitchen sink. <laughs> you can also find Alex. I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Redbubble. Patreon, Twitch, everywhere except the kitchen sink. It's all taken <laughs> yeah. up. That's it. There's only room for one. <laughs> it's not one of those big fancy double sinks. <laughs> who has he? Who has the time for those? <laughs> People with too many dishes. Seriously, guys, oh, cut shit. down on your dishes. Yeah, you don't make room for me, there, guys. Jeez. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> anyway, guys. Thanks again for listening to our little show, and we'll see you all next week. See you guys.